Hello and welcome to Music Forward Foundation's Industry Sessions, Conversation in Music. Music Forward is a part of the House of Blues and Live Nation family that inspires ambition and creates momentum to redefine what is possible for young people in the music industry. Check out musicforwardfoundation.org for more information and let's get into the show. Here we go. Yay. Awesome. So I, I get to jump in because the, the moderator um, is having some technical difficulties. So Craig may pop in here uh, in a second, but I just feel just as lucky because I get to, to be with, with uh, Shazi, Deb, and Brian. Thank you so much uh, for being here. We're going to be um, jumping into, again, the 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 critical um, team that surrounds an artist um, and all the different trends and, and particularly as, as, as the, the sort of uh, raison d'etre of, of our time today is all the career pathways um, on this topic, right? So we are joined by uh, top leaders in the industry and would love for you guys to um, quick, you guys can do your own introductions. Um, we're going to start, we'll start with Deb, um, your role, who, who you are and your role within the industry. Sure thing. Thanks, Nareet. Uh, nice to see everybody here today. I'm an artist manager. I've been uh, in the business for over 30 years, uh, doing everything from record labels to radio to record stores uh, and ending up as an artist manager. And my current clients are Melissa Etheridge, Cypress Hill, Plain White Tees, and two developing artists, uh, Cole Gallagher and Ashlyn Malia. Cool. Awesome. Brian. Um, so I've been in the business for a long time as well. And Deb, we have a probably interesting connection. When I first started in the business, when I was in college, uh, my uh, a couple of buddies and I, we started a concert promotion business. And the very first concert we did was with Cypress Hill. So in 1992, I was still a college student and like, Nobody would book these scary rappers, you know, these scary black guys and like venues were not booking them. And so there's a few college kids who were able to book them. So that was the very beginning of my, uh, uh, it was the very early days of my music career, but uh, super happy to be here. Thank you so much for uh, having me. I've I've been fortunate enough to work in a number of different capacities in in the uh, the music business from working at record labels, distribution companies, uh, performing rights organization um, uh, called Sound Exchange, which collects and distributes royalties to artists and labels when their music is played on digital radio services. I work with an artist management company uh, uh, called Blueprint Group. I've been very fortunate to work with a a very long list of superstar clients. I'm currently working with artists like Lil Wayne and G-Eazy, The Roots, Jill Scott, Brandy. I've worked with um, Kanye West, Nicki Minaj, T.I., a number of others. And uh, I really focus on the the digital parts of their business. And I um, also work with a, uh, a company is that I'm running partnerships for a company called Yet, which is tangentially uh, connected to the music industry, but uh, we are creating a new layer of the internet whereby which people can create their identities uh, on the internet based on emojis rather than alphanumeric characters. So happy to talk about that more too later. Mm, I think I've heard about that, Brian. Okay. Cool. Excellent. Fazi, 
Hello, I'm Shazil Mohammed. I work in music PR at a company called Grandstand Media, um, and I've been doing music PR for 23 years now. So it's been a long run, um, and and have kind of stayed singularly um, in the music PR lane. But that lane has changed completely year by year. You know, I always joke my very first internship in music PR was the year before Napster happened. Um, so it literally was it's changed every year and had to, you know, keep, keep us on our toes as music publicists. Um, I was to complete the Cypress circle. Some of my clients, I, I work with, um, Public Enemy, who just had Cypress Hill, very good friends and <laughs> had Cypress Hill on their last album. Um, but my roster is pretty eclectic. You know, I've worked with artists like uh, Thundercat uh, to Raphael Sadiq. And now I've got um, some like new Young Rising artists. Um, just had one, Charlotte Adigiri, uh, who was in the New York Times last week, was very excited uh, for her first single uh, in a long time, uh, in a, a minute for an EP that hasn't been announced yet. So that was really exciting. Um, so yeah, the the PR game is is a wild, wild world. And it's uh, been exciting every year that I've been in it. That's so cool. I, I want us to stick with you uh, a little bit. Uh, I want to get granular. We're going to we're going to get granular with all of you guys um, on what your day to day. is. What do you do? Really? <laughs> what is your particular role and and the strings that you pull and the things that you do on a day to day for an artist? Yeah, I mean, I think for PR, you know, I say that I've stayed in a singular lane, but it's also uh, an area that you really, I do have hit my hands with in like everyone's pot, you know, where I talk to management and I talk to the label and I talk to the booking agents and, you know, whether it is um, promoting singles, promoting an album for an artist, uh, promoting a tour um, via media. So, you know, media is constantly evolving and changing. It used to be when I first started, you know, print magazines and print dailies and weeklies. And that's, rapidly evaporating and now turning into more online focused things and or social media. Um, so it is helping an artist create their story and figure out what it is that story, like help them hone in the story they want to be telling. Cause there's so many times where, you know, they're so focused on the music and they don't even think that they have a story really. And you sit and talk to them for like 10, 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden things start coming out and um, you're able to like build that out. Uh, and, and as time goes on, working with an artist and having that comfort level where um, you're able to just uh, say, Hey, let's not talk about that. Or, Hey, I heard you like in this one interview, tell this story, but I think that story could be great to build on for future um, reference for media. You know, it is really just kind of digging in there and, and um, yeah, like I said, uh, getting to work with everybody and all levels of the team. I love it. Like you're helping refine their brand, but also amplify it. The same time, excellent, Deb. Uh, go a little bit deeper again on um, your particular, um, you know, the aspects of your role now for an artist. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So you know, I always I have like two definitions for artist management, and you know, we're talking about artist team, and people always wondering, well, when is it time for me to get a manager, right? And I always say, well, when you're doing when you're doing so much that you don't have time to make the music, right? Because obviously it's going to start with music and you're not going to be able to find an artist manager until, you know, there's things that are happening in income because there's a million artists out there and there's a million songs, right? 
And so what I am specifically, or one of the things I, I say is I'm a bridge. I'm the bridge between art and commerce. And so my day will start with whether it's Cypress Hill or a Melissa or, you know, a younger artist of like, you know, when's it time to create content, make music, tour, you know, like all of these things. Right. And so for whether it's like, you know, today I'm like on a call, you know, with like potential producers and our label to say, who's going to be, who are we going to talk to for the next Plain White Tees songs? Right. And then there'll be, you know, and that's the beginning of the bridge between art and commerce because putting out songs involves putting out music and money coming in and budgets. And then you get this idea out into the world as a physical or a stream or, you know, a tangible thing when it comes to intellectual property. Right. So that's where management kind of starts. And it, and it touches on every area. Like, like you know, says like, I'm also not only my bridge, I'm an octopus. <laughs> so I'm like this blob and brain in the middle. Right. And I have eight tentacles and they're all in different worlds. And it all retains goes back to art and commerce, right? So whether it's publishing, merchandising, you know, VIP, film and TV sync, um, physical goods, uh, you know, consumer product goods. Um, obviously, touring is the biggest one, um, but that's changed. So now we have live streaming. So, you know, I'm literally all day long figuring out as this octopus and all these different arms and paying attention, like today will be my merch day and I'll really drill down on all the merch stuff. And, you know, there'll be a flurry of emails to every single one of my merch companies. And then, you know, like, and I'll be very focused on these areas as the artist manager. So because I'm touching many things, I was like, I'm a bridge and I'm an octopus. Oh no, I'm an artist manager. And I hope that like, it seems to make sense to me. And, you know, it's very, it's a very active kind of um, job in the industry because you touch so many different areas and, you know, it's fast paced and you also have to be be able to balance a macro and a micro at all times because you're going to have these big goals and long-term goals and plans and that you're going to be working towards with the team, you know, with the publicists, with the branding people as I'm plotting out, like, you know, I'm plotting, I'm also plotting, right? you know, years ahead, you know, especially with a band like Cypress Hill, where we have so many anniversaries and a documentary and the graphic novel and new music and socks and coffee and, you know, figurines and NFTs and all of the things where we're going to be, you know, where again, creating this art and then putting it out as the bridge into commerce and all while uh, you know, allowing them to be creative and financially su- successful, you know, and so it involves a lot of communication. It's my favorite part of the job. I went to Emerson College, woot, woot, and uh, I majored in communication and sociology because we didn't have a music industry major back then. And, you know, and then I went to law school and focused on contracts and intellectual property and kind of made my own little school for music industry before there was one. And was able to take the ideal of making the world a better place with music and helping artists and make a living, you know? So it's a very gratifying, wonderful, crazy, beautiful job that along with that, you know, then the micro comes in and you're just dealing with all the craziness day to day. So it's like being able to balance back and forth again between the macro and the micro is also something you have to be able to do to switch gears and not be derailed. So... Does that kind of just do a little bit, just a little bit, just for a little bit. <laughs> I mean, like, start, you know, like the pandemic was crazy for us because I had four world tours that got canceled and we pivoted 
and especially with Melissa Etheridge, you know, very quickly into a live stream business that turned out pretty successful, you know, and six figure income when nobody was, you know, doing anything. So, you know, that's also the fun part of being a manager and a leader is being able to, and it is a leadership position, I think, within the organization is to be able to be quick and novel and accept change and function within the world of change. Because again, I think as Shaz said, things have changed so dramatically since we all started our careers here. And I think the leaders and the survivors are the ones that can adapt Mm. novelly and singularly to this change that is always happening within our worlds. Excellent, Deb. Craig, hey, hey. I'll just, I, I will cue Brian as the last in this round of questions and then I'll, I'll let you take it away. But we were just leaning into granularly what, what Brian does in his role for artists. If you can dive into that and then... Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you all for your patience. All good. Glad, glad you made it, man. Glad you were able to get the technical difficulties worked out. Um, so uh, there, there's a couple of things like, uh, you know, on the music business side of where, where I really focus. And, you know, one is with respect to overseeing the digital strategy for a number of uh, artists. And I'm fortunate to have like big clients who I, I referenced early on. And, you know, doing digital strategy has become a really important part of uh, a part part of the the business, and uh, you know, having some expertise there is it can be a real asset to my clients. And you think about it, we think about I think about it from this perspective. It's like there is a digital component to everything that the artist does, and that's where I am involved. And it can be planning a the the marketing around a tour and the VIP packages or fan clubs, uh, and when an album is coming out, um, you know, planning and working with the DSPs or the digital service providers like Spotify, Apple, YouTube, uh, Pandora, SoundCloud, AudioMac, all the, all the services and you know, working with them, Amazon and so forth. Um, uh, uh, when it comes time, you know, selling merch and going online and, you know, how are we selling stuff online and, you know, collecting data and it can be something as simple as, uh, hey, I got I got locked out of my account, and uh, you know maybe like an artist changed their phone, and now they can't they don't remember what their password is to Instagram, and so I get the calls like I need to get on Instagram, and so I fix it, right? Uh, up to you know working with these DSPs on like large marketing pr- programs around getting uh, uh you know exposure uh for 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 their for their releases so it's kind of like all of those things in between um and then uh one thing i i failed to mention earlier is uh i i've ever very much uh, uh like like uh, like i think that mentioned you know, I, have, I have a passion for you know helping artists and some years ago i wrote a book and created tools for independent musicians to to guide them through the process of commercially releasing their music. And it is a very complicated world. Um, but I built uh, a number of tools and uh, a book to kind of guide you through it. Uh, it's called the Music Business Toolbox. And do you, like a number of universities use it as their teaching uh, book and it's, it's ingrained in their curriculum. Uh, so that's super exciting for me because uh, yeah, I think something similar, I'm going to say something similar to what you said, but I think, I think the world would be a better place if musicians were creating music. Uh, I very much feel that if they were doing that rather than, uh, you know, 
flipping burgers or selling used cars or doing something just to make ends meet, but they're really making music that the world would be a better place. And that's kind of uh, one of the things I do to try to contribute to that. So my days can be all over the place. It can be a little bit of, of everything. So for instance, like I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of multitasking because little Wayne has a live stream on YouTube in like a couple hours. So I'm like last minute prep for that. <laughs> all right, cool. So, so, so uh, let's kind of like keep the order that we did before when I was lost or ghost a minute ago. And if you guys can tell us uh, what's the difference between a manager and an agent, what's the, what's the clear distinction between the two? Want to start with Shazilla? Yeah. Uh, manager, like I think how Deb was saying before, you know, manager is the one that kind of makes sure that all the parts are moving. Um, where the agent, as far from my end, it is like booking the shows, you know, agents specifically are the ones that are making things happen, whether it's live shows, clubs, you know, just want to see your band at a club or you want to see, get a spot on a festival your agent's going to be the one that does that for you. Your manager's the one that's going to probably say yay or nay um, to that. And then yay or nay to the publicist or and everything else that happens though. So I'd say like manager and then everybody else, like Deb said, the octopus has like all the hands at work. So, so Deborah, I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on that question, I guess, for the audience. Can you, can you uh, distinguish the difference between for the audience, I think we may know this, but there's an agent, which is a talent yeah, sure. agent, and, and then yeah. there's a booking agent, right? Well, the booking agent is the agent. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Fair. Yeah. yeah like a booking agent. So there's, there's, you know, there's many, like, well, let's talk about talent agencies. Okay. So yeah. there's booking agents. We've heard of CAA, WME, Madison House, mm-hmm. big and small, you know, parent, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I could list through all the agencies. I don't think I need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the agents are the ones, they're 10 percenters. Okay. They go out and they book gigs. They book speaking engagements. They'll book acting jobs. Uh, they'll do private engagements. They'll even uh, get brand sponsorships. Um, they're even starting to get into like the podcast world. They take 10%, right? They're licensed in the state of California. Managers are actually not able to book or find employment in the state of California for their clients. So I can't go out there and be an agent and a manager. They're very separate hats. And that's, that's the California law. It's a little different in other states, but I'm in California. So I, that's the law that I follow. So as a manager, like really all I'm allowed to do, and this is kind of funny, is like give advice and then they take it if they're smart, right? I mean, that's like the most basic dumbed down thing of like, what does a manager do? I mean, we do everything. We plan. I tell the agent, hey, I want to go out next August. I want you to call Ice Cube, Corn, Slightly Stupid, and these guys, see who's available. I want to go in this size venue. I want to do this ticket price. We'll go back and forth. The agent will say... You know, based on the like, we'll get into it. We'll get into numbers. We'll say, you know, how much production are we going to have? And then the agent goes out and gets all the offers in, right? So this, you know, this promoter will pay a thousand dollars. This promoter will pay three thousand dollars. But it's like, you know, we'll go through all the offers, Mm -hmm. or he'll just go and sell the tour to Live Nation. You know, there's all different ways of agenting. You know, it's from you know small club to big arena. And they have all different types of agents that handle all those different types of venues. And there's many ways that agencies work. And I, you know, we can go into that, but that's specifically what a booking agent does. The manager 
is like, again, I think what I described earlier, maybe before mm-hmm. you joined, but that's really the difference, especially in the state of California. Thank you. So uh, ask me about the difference between tour managers and managers later, because that's a whole other thing. The audience <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. So, so considering all the technology and the access that many independent uh, or just artists across the board have today, do young artists actually need a team? And at what point of their development is it necessary? What, what things should they consider in deciding whether it's time for wider support and what they're doing? Yeah, I, I'm happy to jump in on this one. I think that the, the answer to that is absolutely yes. The question about when you bring people in is really the, the I think, the fundamental question here. Uh, and look, if you are so one of the things and I outlined this in, in the book and actually my lecture today, I kind of saw was about was was about this. There are 10 key business relationships in every artist's life, whether you are playing, um, you know, a coffee shops or you're headlining an arena tour or a stadium tour. Uh, and you bring in different people at different stages of your career based on what your needs are at the time. And, uh, something to keep in mind is that until you have these people on board, you know, you are responsible for doing their job. Right, you as the artists are doing it uh, to start. So, just quickly, I'll run through the ten. The the, the ten are uh, one is the your co-creators, the other members of the band. Like you are business partners with with those people. Uh, your manager, your lawyer, your agent, your distributor. So that's the the entity company that is getting your music out and putting it up on all the streaming services. Your record label, who may or may not be the same company as your distributor, or maybe the label uses another distributor and they are the ones that are generally signing, helping develop you and do the, uh, uh, the release marketing, uh, your publicist, your digital marketing person, your publisher and your business manager. And, uh, your business manager is the, uh, is sort of like the CFO of your business. That is the person who handles, uh, you know, accounts payable and accounts receivable and does your taxes and that kind of thing. So those are the, those are the, those are the 10 key business relationships, no matter what size artist you are. And, you know, look, and you are, if you've got, you know, you're putting your first, putting your first record song up on SoundCloud, uh, you know, does it make sense to go hire a, a, a you know, a music attorney who charges us, you know, a thousand dollars an hour. It, it does not make sense to do that. But when you start, you know, so, and I'll just use this one quick example. Like, when do you hire a lawyer? When do you go get a lawyer? Well, look, some people will say, oh, you should have, you should hire a lawyer and make sure they look at everything before you, and don't sign anything without it, without getting the lawyer to, to look at it. Now, if you are a very small artist, you need to get a performing rights organization to represent you as a writer so that you can collect if your music is played on the radio or in bars and clubs and streaming services, that kind of thing. Well, ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC are not going to negotiate independently with you. So you may go, you could easily go spend tens of thousands of dollars on a high priced lawyer and it will not make a difference. You're going to have to accept the terms of use on the, on their website. The same thing goes for using a distribution platform like a CD Baby or a DistroKid or a TuneCore or something like that. But once you have to, once you start assigning rights, um, in, in, uh, a way where you start signing exclusive rights, as a 
uh, as a label or, I mean, as a, as a, as a musician. So you want to sign an exclusive recording contract, for instance, or you want to sign a publishing deal. That is definitely the point in which you're going to need a lawyer. But so, so there's sort of like different levels, uh, uh, of it. And you'll, you have to make that determination based on where you are, what your resources are, um, and you know, what your actual needs are at the time and how much can you continue to do on your own? Thanks for that. Um, I, I, you know, you know, as you express those 10 key components that you feel are vital to, uh, to an artist's career, all I could think about was the ecosystem and the, the economics of trying to develop yourself as an artist, which leads me to the next question. Uh, what are the benefits of an artist being signed to a label versus being an independent artist just developing their own support team? What are the benefits? Yeah, I think, you know, if you have a label that is like minded, um, you know, that you there's so many people at labels that are, you know, have the opportunity or bring can bring opportunities to you that you can't necessarily do on your own. Um, You have they have a vested interest in in making sure that a your record sells. So they want to make sure that you're seen by everybody. It should be seen by, um, you know, I think it I think finding the right label is really important and not just finding a label. you know, and, and and if you can't find the label that feels right at home, thankfully now there is a way that everyone can get their music out. There are so many distribution platforms available that it doesn't have to necessarily be through a label. But I do think a, a label is really helpful, whether it's a major label or um, India. I tend to work with a lot of indies that really, you know, either know their niche market really well, that know how to develop it there and then, you know, bring it up a level. Um, yeah, I think just feeling comfortable and, and feeling like you are with the right and like-minded um, people at a label is, is, is important. But I don't know if a label is uh, the end-all be-all for artists nowadays. Yeah, I was just going to add a little bit to it. And, you know, I, I totally agree with that. I think that, you know, there are certain certainly some real advantages that a label can provide uh, just because the business is complicated and people are experts in their field. And, you know, uh, sometimes it's better to, you know, give a portion of your potential revenue, uh, to have someone who knows what they're doing and has experience in it and can also invest money, uh, into, into helping you to develop your career. Uh, you know, there's, you know, roughly a hundred thousand new tracks released every single day. How do you get a, how do you, how do you rise above the clutter? How do you get noticed? It's challenging. You know, and, you know, artists who say, well, I'm just going to put it out there and see what happens. You know, I think that's a huge mistake because, you know, you know, I can tell you what's going to happen. You know, nothing is going to happen. You know, it's going to be you and your mom will listen to your record and that's going to be it. So uh, it's important, I think, to have someone uh, or, you know, people on your team, uh, whether it's, you know, you do it, you know, internally or you, you, you sort of outsource some of that work to a record label or a manager. But frankly, the manager, especially in the early stages of your career, the manager takes on a lot of the roles and wears a lot of these other hats in this, uh, you know, for in this, you know, the, 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 the 10 positions that I've identified. So, um, well, I mean, in all stages, you hear quite frankly. Thanks for that. Uh, speaking of managers, that was a good segue. Uh, my next question is, and 
uh, and if you can answer this, I would love to hear everyone's point of view, as I'm sure the audience would. Uh, how do you know you have an ineffective manager, publicist, or agent? I think you can tell because you're, I mean, because I've seen ineffective, I mean, as a manager myself, I'm like, you know, have I ever been ineffective? You know, it's kind of like one of the first thoughts that come to mind or if a relationship doesn't work out, I think it's pretty apparent because it's probably the closest relationship you're going to have. And you can't hide behind, like the truth is there, you know, the world, it's everything's transparent now. So there's nowhere to hide. And your effectiveness is can be seen and, and be judged in a very in so many ways, right? So you've got like, you know, real results. Are you, are you, you know, are you accomplishing the goals of the artist? If your goals aren't being accomplished, you know, do you have the right goals? Are you talking about the goals? Is it's, you know, it's a communication. Like if you're not talking and communicating and creating goals and objectives and then following through and executing which is what I do on a daily basis. And, you know, I'm always evaluating what are the goals? How are we executing? How am I communicating with my client that the, you know, where we're at in the stage of making things happen? I mean, it took me three to four years of, you know, pitching and trying to get the Cypress Hill documentary made. And, you know, we never, you know, we finally found the right partner and it, and it took time. And I think that there was an understanding on the clients like, hey, this isn't e-, like some things just aren't easy. Right. And so, you know, especially with younger artists, um, it's really hard to open up those doors. And, you know, you've got to kind of leverage your connections, maybe with some of your bigger clients to open up some of those doors. Right. For your younger artists. And so the effectiveness, I mean, it is it's like it's a very. You know, it's like, again, like I'm going to go back to like the micro and the macro, right? So the micro stuff, like how are you, you know, dealing with the day to day and are you quick to respond to emails and are you again, communicating well? And then how are you keeping from getting derailed and staying on track to meet the goal of whether it's releasing an album next year with the course spending, you know, whatever the thing is, you know, that we, with, that we do, is it happening? Um, and I certainly have had. You know, it's hard because your expectation can be up here and sometimes it's just not realistic for the artist, right? So you can say, yeah, well, why aren't I on the cover of this? Or why didn't I get the radio player? You know, it's all your fault. You didn't make it happen. Well, sometimes you got to go and turn around and you got to look back at the music and the content, you know, because I mean, Brian's laughing, but you know, we've all been on, the, on those phone calls. Like I didn't get my number one single. It's your fault. You're fired, right? Exactly. Hey, hey, I, I, was, I just want to interject because we say, we say, hey, when it's a, when it's a success, it's their fault. It's because of them. It's because and of them. It's because of you. Exactly. Exactly. So it's an interesting question, but I feel like it's pretty apparent. Like if things aren't working out, and I felt that, and with in relationships with bands, where I was like, you know, I tr- I was too early. A lot of times, I'm too early, and I find something and I fall in love with it, and I discover it, and I shop it, and I try to get the record deal or the agent. And they're just not known enough yet, right? They're not established enough. And the band's impatient. And they're like, well, wait a minute. I'm, I, I'm awesome. I'm doing all this stuff. You, you, why didn't I get what, you know, what? And I'm like, well, it takes time. And so I think, you know, again, like that, if, like if they're not happy at that point in the game and, I'm, and they're thinking I'm not being effective and they're not, just not being patient, then I'm like, okay, well, this isn't a good match. And nothing personal. It's just time to move on. And it can be, I think that way, 
with publicity or or the agent. Right. Like you bang your head against the wall and you're just not getting there. And it's like, okay, well, if you can't be patient, then we got to go, you know, it's like, we're not miracle workers. I mean, sometimes, yeah. The magic, the fairy dust, the good things that happen. We love all those moments. Can, can I ask, I, I want to ask a quick follow-up question because you just mentioned publicity. It, would you agree that there is a immediate barometer when you are hiring a a publicist who you're paying on a monthly basis, as opposed to a manager who's investing their time and they're being paid on a commission uh, basis, right? So if you're an artist and you're working with the manager who's going out and pitching you every and anywhere, you know, but you're also paying for a publicist who's not delivering within a three to six month period, that's a, that is, is, would you say that there's a difference for the artist that is totally green and really trying to learn this space? I think on the PR end, yeah. I mean, there is definitely a difference. And, you know, like for me, particularly like when I take on a new client, I really, you know, kind of dive in and I want to make sure that I know that there is a story to tell and how, you know, what those goals are. And then there are times where, like Deb was saying with management clients where, you know, I've tried and tried and tried, but things aren't happening and sometimes I have to walk away or they have to walk away. And it, it, it just, you know, doesn't, it doesn't work all the time, you know, you know, like I can uh, have like one amazing, you know, like breakthrough, you know, a, a day and then have like two or three that, you know, tracks that don't necessarily cut through or um, you know, it is, it is just making sure you have that open communication within your team. And, you know, like a lot of times I'll say to my clients, you know, if we go out with one set of pitches and one way of telling the story and it's not happening, then we try to dive in and get something else. And if after a couple of times we've tried to retell it, it's just, you know, it's better to move in a different direction, but yeah, I think there is obviously a different investment. Um, but you know, I think from the publicist end, as an indie publicist, like you want to do great every time because you're, if, if it's client to client, then you want a, that client to be coming back, you know? And I feel like I've had a, a great run of like long-term clients, um, over the years, but then also you want word of mouth too, you know, it's like as an independent, uh, PR, like working, my whole career has been at independent PR agencies. It's you really want to do the best possible job you can. All right. If I could just interject here, it is time for q and I'll start with this one. What is your advice for entering the industry without using connections? Is LinkedIn enough? Uh, I, I don't, I don't even, I mean, you have to make connections. It's connection is what the industry is about. So it's kind of like when I started, I probably had no connections. I just hustled and I went to things like CMJ and South by Southwest and panels like this. And yeah, LinkedIn is a connection. So you can try to dive in there. But I think internships are probably the primary and best way. And, you know, I know like at Primary Wave, we have created or working to create more internships where you might not even have to be going to college, uh, working with Music Forward to provide, you know, a paid internship model. I mean, I think any way to search out and find out and make connection, whether it's like, go to a bar where a band plays and meet the person who books it like on a local tiny level. Like that's making a connection in the music industry might not be the big, huge connection you think you should be making, but wherever music is played and served up and like where a place where you can walk in and start a conversation, you can start to make connections in we're in the real world outside, not just in online. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I would also add that be able to provide some value to somebody. So if you have uh, uh, the, you know, you're good at whatever Snapchat or TikTok or whatever for a developing artist, especially if you can help them uh, improve what they're doing on that uh, on that channel or help you can carry gear you can you can you know tune their guitars whatever the hell it is if you can provide some value to just get in and be around it that's also that's super helpful and the other thing is, is just do it i mean like the you know the the, the best way to learn is i mean obviously look, there, there's books and resources and websites and tons of stuff that you know we, we didn't have years ago you guys have access to now but you know if you want to be an artist manager find an artist and manage them, right? Like, you, look, you're not going to get, uh, 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 you know, you're not going to get Cypress Hill, right? Because, you know, you don't know any, you don't know much. But if you're smart and you're diligent, find someone who's just bubbling on a little bit on SoundCloud or AudioMac and nobody else knows. And you could find them. But if, and, you know, if you believe in them, you know, it's easy to reach out to somebody who has a few thousand streams on a platform. Say, hey, let me work with you on a contingency basis. And then you just learn by actually doing. Great. Thanks. You too. We'll move on to the next one. Have any of you, this one is anonymous as well. Have any of you considered the pathway of being an artist? If so, how did you know which path was right? I recently graduated and I'm torn between pursuing the artist path or the business pathway, A and R. I mean, I wrote, a lot of songs and performed briefly and was in a band that never really played out. And I think I knew pretty quickly as much as I, like my passion for music was so deep and so rooted from such a young age, but I felt, and I, and I felt like even the music I was making personally, like my, the intention behind it is to help heal the world. Right. Like it's all about, again, it's like, I don't know. It's like my spiritual thing whatever that is, you know, like that's where that, that was like really where it was coming from. But I just realized I was way smarter in here than the talent coming from here. And it was pretty apparent, you know what I mean? Like the writing was good. And I felt like the melodies were like, I was feeling good in that area, but it wasn't, but I was really like, I was an all A student and I just knew that my natural abilities were so much stronger in the business side of things. And I had to try really hard on the artist side. And so I went to the path of least resistance so I could do the most good. Great. Yeah. And I didn't, I, I actually went to school. I was a common writing major. So it's like when you add communications and writing together, kind of equal PR for me, but I was always just a huge music fan. So, um, but I do think, you know, and I, I think, you know, if that's a thing that you're also debating on there, I say learn the industry because, you know, as you, as an artist, you know, still create your music, you decide you want to shift, at least having that background understanding of how the industry works will help you navigate that all more in the future. Cool. Thanks, ET. We'll move on to see if we have what time for one more. It seems that the only way to break through is through an assistant position. Do you find that there are any other entry-level jobs for PR, marketing, et cetera? <laughs> I actually never had an assistant. I started, I started as an intern and at the end of my first internship, they said, um, if you 
don't don't drop out of college, anybody. But if you drop out of school um, or when you graduate, come back and we'll give you a job. And they did. Um, So I just I felt like it was. And when I started, you know, like they initially were wanted to hire me as a as an assistant and I really wanted to be a publicist and somehow it worked. It worked out that I, I jumped in uh, as a tour publicist from uh, day one. So I think there is a path, you know, I think getting those internships really are important. Um, and there's so many internships out there. Um, if you want to know, or if you're not sure, like I interned in radio and that quickly helped me learn that I did not want to work in radio, you know? Um, so I, I lied when I said a singular uh, PR path. <laughs> Everything else led me back to PR though. Um, so yeah, I think interning, making sure you really understand what the different positions are um, and what each person does. And then really, you know, advocating for yourself and um, seeing, you know, like, like what's best. And, and at Grandstand, we start um, everybody the, as an associate publicist. So there's never necessarily an, um, an assistant position too. So, you know, it, it varies, but I think it's really smart to take some time and really learn the, the behind the scenes before you really go after that position that you want. I would just say you know be what, entrepreneurial, like you know, be, you don't have to be an assistant. You just start your own thing. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, and I, I, I'd like to elaborate on that. I started out as an assistant, and I would advise that 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 an assistant route is not the only route. But if you're going to be an assistant, you should choose to be an assistant with intentions and be very clear about that when you come in the door. Uh, I got promoted my first label job at Warner Brothers in three months from radio promotions to the marketing department, because in my interview, I said, I'll take $30,000 a year, but I want you to be very clear that I'm totally interested in working in the marketing department. And I show that. And I think that I've seen that work for people over and over again, be intentional about being an assistant. If you're going to choose that path. Great. Brian, did you have anything to add to that? I was was never an assistant. I don't think you need to be. And as there's nothing, you know, wrong with that at all. I know, I do know a lot of people who have, have, have gone on to, and people were CEOs were assistants and interns, you know, so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it is not certainly not the only path. And I think that if you talk with executives, you realize that everybody's path is different. Like, no, there, there aren't there is not. Oh, you have to do it this way. It just doesn't even exist. You know, I, I, but, you know, I really go back to like, you got to be you got to provide value. You just do it. And you, you learn along the way. And, you know, it's easier to make mistakes on a developing artist who you believe in. Uh, when you're young is, and, and, and you can take those things and apply them. I, there, there's a young guy who started out for me when I was, when I was at sound exchange, he was, um, was a college student at, at, at Howard university. And he, he works with me to this day. He, you know, he, and he was just doing stuff. Like he was figuring out ways. He was like, I mean, he, he actually did like a, a landing page for me for Drake or something like that. You know, while he was, was Drake was like, not a big star. He didn't even put it, he didn't put his record out yet. So, but like, you know, that's on his resume that he did, you know, he did, he did, he did that thing. And, you know, so anyway, you can just do stuff and you can learn and, you know, who knows how some things are going to take off. And look, I I also am very, very bullish on being uh, very educated about the business. And, um, well, thank you all so much for participating in this. Everyone give our panelists a huge virtual thank you. We really appreciate you all taking the time out of your day to speak to these young aspiring artists and creators. Mm-hmm.